Greetings and salutations, geeks. Welcome to Geeking Off the Page. For those keeping track, this is episode 53. Yes, I said that right. 53. I didn't stutter. Who knew we could get this count this high? Not me. I'm Trevor. And I'm Mike. And we're going to be spoiling the shit out of a lot of stuff for you people. So if you don't like spoiler casts, you're in the wrong place. If you do like spoiler casts, keep listening. Keep watching. Yeah, no mercy, motherfucker. Because we're about to get into it. All right, Mike. Hit it. Cobra Kai. Let's just go there. I mean, this is the one thing I've been wanting to talk about nonstop for the last two weeks. And we did a fair amount of talking around about five or six episodes last week. Yeah. But I'm guessing you've finished the series. I have indeed finished the series. So, yeah, we can spoil away. And Gavin, right. too bad. He doesn't listen to the podcast anyway. Yeah. So but I will still say I'll let you do the recap because you're good at recaps. But I will still say that Cobra Kai is the greatest reboot of a franchise or next generation or whatever you want to call it, probably since Star Trek Next Generations. I can't think of any other franchise reboot that took the intent of the original, pushed it a generation, was able to bring in new characters, respect the old vibe, the old feel, and continue it on for next generation. And I, let's not yeah. talk about the movies. We'll talk about the TV series. I, I'm going to have to give you that one because I honestly I can't think of any show that 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 has that like those sort of prerequisites of, of starting with the original show, not just doing the same show again, but doing a continuation, new cast, new stories, and still being a quality show. So yeah, and respecting the old characters, the old vibes. Exactly. That's one thing Star Trek Next Generation had, you know, where Bones was in the first episode doing a tour of the ship as an old man. You know, Spock would show up. You know, Scotty was yeah. locked in a track or in a uh, transporter loop. Now all that stuff was there, and they respected it. Yeah, and so yeah, I find with Cobra Kai, um, they they do a lot of callbacks to the original. I mean, so far movies one, two, and three. Here's hoping they get to number four. Um, but anyways, um, and they they keep some of that that eighties vibe to it. Like I mean, Johnny one hundred percent has not left the eighties. He he still is is trying to relive his glory days. Um, but just some of the the like we I talked about this last week. Like when the the the, the senseis and, and and instructors from Korea show up. And you have like the woman and the six guys, and they're all dressed in black. And the one guy's got an eye patch. You're like, that's pure '80s cheese. Like, oh, it is in the '80s. If you had to have henchmen show up, they would all wear black suits, and one of them had to have an eye patch. It was yeah. like a written law. If no one had an eye patch, and you would just go go up to randomly to one of the actors, poke them in the eye, and say, "Put this on, make it worth it." So, and last podcast, I was up north, so I did a solo trip with the dog. It did a couple, you know work remote extra remote days and i knew as, as soon as it was on the ninth i was like oh crap i'm going to be binging this by myself because i know my kids <laughs> are also going to be binging it so when i got home that was one of the things my son said my oldest son erickson he said dad did you think that the water park was kind of cheesy it's like <laughs> yeah i do but because it was one of the first episode it's like pizza you need cheese yeah, you there do. has to be you some do. cheese on your pizza. Like that's the way it is. And if the whole series was that, it probably wouldn't be so good. But no, that like that that's just the 
topping on the meat lover pizza, man. Yeah, you've you've got to put it on there. So you you need you need that little sprinkling of the eighties cheese to, especially if you're pulling something. So if they were to do like say a Night Rider or an Airwolf or A Team or something like that, a show that was a hundred percent from the eighties today, if you didn't have any sort of eighties callback, it wouldn't work. So that's why, like, I feel like the Dukes of Hazard movie, the countless Night Rider spinoffs and repeats and whatnots they all failed because they tried to kind of push past what what had originally been done and not like kind of semi-acknowledge it but but lose its flavor right it's like you're trying to try too hard to make it cool and updated but you're completely missing the things that gave it that flavor that taste 100 percent or it's like what we were talking about with other things there's a certain palette if you're not using the same palette, it's like Star Wars with the models and kit bashing. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a certain thing that gives it that flavor. Exactly. And exactly. if you don't have that 80s cheese, it's not Karate Kid. It's not yeah. Overkind. I mean, and even they, the last episode, they busted out the crane kick, which in the greatest happen. possible way. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was nice seeing the crane kick coming out um, from so- Daniel. Oh yeah, from Daniel. Because the last time we saw it, I think was Miguel, wasn't it? Yeah, Miguel did it, um, kind of like as a as the first move as like a nephew to yeah. Daniel in the tournament. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So this. Um. Uh, so I think we we got up to like episode five. At least I got up to episode five the last time. Yeah, we and I gave you a quick uh, Kevin yeah. Smith tear sob story at the end of episode six that I just yeah. had to say. Um. And... I rewatched that episode to see if I was just being sensitive in the moment. I teared <laughs> up a second time. It's like. Damn, that episode was so good. Yeah, six is where they kind of like everyone's like, all right, we're all gonna get together. Um, the th- the three senseis, uh, chosen Johnny and Daniel, are like, all right, we're training you right. Each of us are giving you a different aspect of the training that you need to fight silver. And this is the first time they've all been a hundred percent locked on, like yeah. on the same mission. The fact that Johnny and Daniel didn't have any conflict this whole season. Mm-hmm. Whereas last season, I, you know, I got all emotional with the Air Tonight song at the end. It's like, oh, they're uniting forces. And yeah. then right away, it's like they fragment and splinter oh, and yeah, start yeah, fighting each other. Thing. And But this season, the whole well, way through, they're united. It's I like think Ken what, and Ryu. I think what kept them united was Chosen. Chosen was the perfect foil because he was badass enough with, 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 with Americanisms that, you know, he could throw in the odd joke. But he could also be very stoic. They'd throw a joke at him. He'd be very stoic. And they'd be like, oh, shit, that didn't fly. And then he'd like smile or something like, haha, I got you. Yes, it did work. And by doing that, also, he didn't take any of Johnny's shit. And he didn't take any of Daniel's shit either. He was and like, Johnny this- saw that Miyagi Do can be badass. Like, yeah, yeah. There was some of that. And the fact that it's the two villains teaming up, exactly. which is amazing. And we'll get to Mike fucking burns later yeah now what was kind of nice was the the second to last episode um chosen and and johnny are talking and chosen reveals or no was it chosen no chosen and danny i think or or daniel they were talking about how um chosen is still carrying carrying a torch for kuiko from the yes the kid movie and you know it's because uh one of the two of the salesmen, one is dating one of the other salesman's sister, whatnot. And and you know, gives the advice of, you know, go for it. Like, you know, yeah, she can forgive you. You know, try. Like worst case scenario, she's gonna say no. 
Yeah. But don't carry a torch and do nothing about it because you're just going to live a life of regrets. And it was such a nice, a nice moment and a nice message in there. And then they have the giant fight. Um, like the huge fucking fight. And then um, he dies, but that's the spoiler. Well, he doesn't. Don't 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 false spoiler people with, with shit like that. Because we'll talk about it. So anyway, um the episode I liked was uh episode seven, bad eggs. This is where Chosen is taking all the Miyagi Do students and the, the Eagle Fang students and is like, all right. Your 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 regular senseis aren't here today. You've got me, and he shows them what true, like, hard training is. And he first starts them all with like, everyone grab an egg, and they're like, what the fuck? What am I grab an egg for? And he's like, you gotta protect your egg. And then he you know pulls out various weapons, all Okin like like classic Okinawa martial arts weapons, and proceeds to run around and break everyone's eggs in just hilarious fashion. And it's, you know, and then they use that, you know, they like, you know, foreshadowing and payoff. That's the foreshadow for later on. They pay off the whole protect the egg. And it was such a nice way of, of having the basically everyone come together when they realized they had to work as a team to protect the eggs. They couldn't do it solo because, you know, one on one versus chosen. There's not a single student who could stand up to him. Not even close. And the fact who is Daniel's son what it's Anthony, right? He, yeah, he yeah, was Anthony. the one who was like, "Wait a second, I think I have a strategy." Yeah, and it was, so it was the, like the worst martial artist of the group, but he oh, was yeah. like, "Wait, I, I think I know what we can do." Yeah, and it was it was a nice touching moment that he's starting to realize some value in this, and how something Mr. Miyagi back in the first Karate Kid movie was showing that you know real world world application or using the real world to help train. So stuff that is feeling unrelated and suddenly actually works. And, you know, just like the wax on, wax off, protect the eggs, teach people to work as a team. It it just, it made it so much fun to watch that. And when he finally delivered the final payoff, he was like, that's something that Cobra Kai will never have. Yeah. You know, we might, well, I forget the exact term, but it's like, you know, they might be a mile wide, but they're an inch deep. You know, we might yeah. be an inch wide, but we're a mile deep. Yeah, you, know, you guys work together. You can beat them over anything. Yeah, and then we get the payoff, and that's one thing this story and this writing does so well because it's not just kung fu fights and stuff. It's every fight has a message and a meaning, and it builds the characters, it builds the story arcs, and there's a plot going through the whole thing. Yeah, so it's cool to see all the cool kicks and stuff. Yeah, but there's always something deeper. It's it's also people don't get through a fight unchanged. You know, whether they win or get their ass kicked, they're a different person by the end of the fight. And this show is the writing is is is, you know, pushing that with the characters aren't stagnating before their fight, during the fight, after the fight. They're not the same person from from time to time. So they're written differently. So, you know, by the aftermath of the fight, their perspective has changed in some way. And I like that because it's it's a very forward thinking writing style so that your characters don't stagnate and it's they're not just they don't become like two-dimensional cutouts they actually have substance so yeah it's and and then, yeah and then each episode and then the the big international competition and the, the two dojos have to compete against each other to see who can you know which dojo gets the the chance to to compete in this this international competition 
and uh spoil it they both get in um <laughs> and that's anyway. another thing that the writers do so well with this kind of stuff is they're not afraid to sideline characters for the benefit of the story yeah so whereas hawk is the champion you know you think he's going to be elevated to like the new karate kid and he's completely sidelined for the most part. like he had his big story arc last two seasons yeah and now he's kind of come to terms you know he's got some working out to do but you realize this isn't about you know hawk anymore it's a yeah. little bit about um miguel and uh robbie mm -hmm. it's definitely about daniel and silver yeah and, but it's about the philosophies of the two dojos like you know the, like the modern version of cobra kai versus old school miyagi do and like how does that work in the real world especially yeah. when you still have crease in the shadows manipulating tori yeah and like that's the main story element so if they have to sideline some characters and put them to secondary for the benefit of the story they're not afraid to do that and but it makes what was the story nice strong. is when they had the the two dojos fight to to see who could compete in this international competition they didn't say oh robbie's gonna come in and take it or oh miguel's gonna come in. they had hawk come in and as, as be their their champion to and the fact that the other two boys said no he's the champ so yeah you do that it's not like the instructor said it they're like no like give him a chance yeah yeah and it was nice i mean it was it was a nice way of not having him disappear into the background yeah by having him be a part of that fight i mean yeah he, Even though he got taken out by a silver bullet yeah which by was... a little kid i'm sorry that's just Ugh. anyway that... i didn't mind it that dumbass okay, so there's a payoff later um anyways um but the what was nice in that episode is the whole i mean everyone could see that the the ref had been paid off by silver again tori could see it and i like the fact that the you know daniel and chosen and and johnny are like all right you've got to make each point undeniable yes that was such a good redemption arc for samantha and she did. She made it so that there was no way if you could say, well, um, uh, her gi was untied. Or uh, uh, it's 9.15 and you can't score a point at 9.15. Uh, I like how the ref kept looking over at Silvery every like, time. It's like, it's like I, I got to award it. I got to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so great. It's like, you might have paid me off, but. Yeah. And the fact that Johnny and one of the community members bond over their their love of rocky especially rocky four <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was just like oh my god johnny's love of the 80s is, is right after a watermelon in the face yeah 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 so um yeah it's and and the thing is also at the same time we have the whole relationship struggle with like sam and miguel um you know he tries to make up and she's trying to break up with him. And, and then when he, you know, he buys her the octopus thing and she shows up at the party and there he is with a girl on his lap. And, you know, so yeah, they're having some issues, you know, resolving the relationship, but at the same time, we've got adult drama going on as well. We've got like Daniel and his wife are having some, some issues and, you know, chosen naked swimming laps in their pool. You know, these sorts of things happen. And I don't uh, know if you watch those behind the scene things Netflix put out, but the showrunners were talking about the stuff they were able to do in this series. They they said they could take it to these ridiculous levels because they already set up the groundwork. Like if you tried yeah. to do this in Cobra Kai season one, no, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't work. work. It wouldn't work but at because all. they progressively built up the drama, built up the stories, and now you have this completely ridiculous 
storyline of Silver yeah. trying to create franchises, bringing in goons from Korea, and like you know, yeah. life and death matches, like chosen Shoya nostalgia side. shit, bringing like bringing in the foreign senseis and all that other stuff. You couldn't it do was, you couldn't. It do was that. so good. <laughs> One wow. thing I like about the storytelling too is the way they built up story elements through the whole series, like chosen with the Psy. Mm-hmm. That was an ongoing gag for like nine episodes until Silver pulls out the katana. It's like, oh, I know what Chosen has in his pocket. And sure enough, shit. <laughs> and then he does. go to the nightclub and he's got them. Yeah, I know. It's oh my so God, good. buddy. <laughs> like, it was just a running gag all season until that moment with the payoff. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was like, I was fist pumping when that scene happen it's like oh no way this is going to be amazing another thing with the whole mike barnes stealing the party limo (laughs) and then the fact that you have like the three villains from the three karate kid movies all together Mm -hmm. you know all drunk out of their mind all ready to go trash silver and daniel's the only one with any comments has like dude we can't just go to his house like the hell we can so (laughs) you've got a car right here let's do it so he's um, stranded in the wilderness as the three villains combine forces to go after self. It's like, what an amazing thing. Like, I could not foresee that coming. Yeah, yeah. That was, and it was funny, the person who comes to Daniel's rescue, of all people, when he's stranded out in the wilderness, Stingray. Um, that was a great phone call from his wife. It's like, oh no, Cobra Kai's at the house. Yeah. This is another thing that they set up because Cobra Kai has already invaded their house before and Miyagi. Yeah, like, this has happened. And also the fact that uh, what's her name? Johnny's new wife. Yeah. Uh, Carmen. Carmen. She's pregnant. Yes. And they yes. kept cutting away to Cobra or to Karate Kid 3 with Silver kicking the girl in the stomach. Yeah. And they keep putting her in dangerous situations. Like I thought they were going to lose the baby the entire show yeah i so when I, they're in the house cobra kai's at the house it's like oh no but it's stingray it's like yeah, yeah. stingray um i liked so something i really enjoyed was how little they dealt with crease but they just enough to, to keep him in the story and to keep his connection with tori going until the last episode like, and we we saw like a, a couple of his therapy sessions where he was First, he was full breaking down to see he could tell that the psychiatrist what she needed to hear. And then when she called him on his shit, he was like, all right, this is how I really feel. And then we see like, you know, him dealing with the other other prisoners. And now they're calling him sensei when he like just rocks like what three or four prisoners. He just just takes them out. And, and that was a fun thing, how they flash between young crease. It's like he's the old man getting beaten. It's like, that's not who I am. Comes back as young crease and just yeah. wrecks all of them. Oh, yeah. Um. But it was also it the it was a beautiful setup for the payoff in the last episode with Crease, because um, the episode starts out and Crease is killed in a prison fight, and we're like, I, I was sitting here and I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, maybe he's just injured, and then you see where the blood is, and you're like, no, no, he's not injured. That's that's not something you walk off. They yeah, Reese, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Could you? After they were calling him Sensei and yeah. everything else, it's like, "Wow, I guess the story arc's done for this character." Yeah. So they kill off Chosen. They kill off Crease. It's like you have some serious stakes in the final episode. Yeah. And another thing about the good writing, 
just like the sigh, the Jello joke went from the start all the way to the end. Yes, they carried it and they carried it because so spoiler for people listening who haven't seen Cobra Kai season five. Uh, we so we talked about priest gets attacked in prison, stabbed multiple times with a shiv, laying hundred percent dead. And at the end, we find out when the doctors are you know ex- they have him up on the table in the infirmary, and the guy's like, "Why is it sticky and sweet?" And he's like, "That's jello because he had jello packs hidden inside his shirt. That's what the guy was stabbing." Crease takes out the two guards and the doc, and escapes the prison using the the psychiatrist key card this is by the way this is a totally plot of an 80s movie because in real life you would not be able to do this shit uh only in an 80s movie would this work and manages to buzz himself out and escape the prison and now he's on the loose so yeah it's something you, you couldn't do in real life especially in the modern day but in an 80s movie this is to be expected this is why this is like this big 80s callback because these ridiculous you know ways of getting around the plot it's pure 80s cheese and it's so delicious. It's it's the topping on the pizza we need. So yeah, that's why I was first I was like, holy shit, they killed Crease. And at the end, I'm like, this is so 80s. It's just awesome. Yeah, I was so happy. And then when Chosen walks out of the limo, it's like, yeah. oh, it's all just right. a flesh wound. And then Taylor's like, yeah, all your flesh. Yeah, he he got sliced on the back of the leg and the back and the front. I mean, he's 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 hurting. He's going to have to spend some serious time in the hospital getting stitches. Um, but the fight between Silver and Daniel, yeah, uh, for me, that was the icing on the cake. Yeah, well, we we had the big fight between Cobra Kai and Miyagi Do as the the Miyagi Do guys are trying to find some footage of Silver to upload to their their YouTube to to discredit Silver. And at first, the, the footage they want of him beating, beating up Stingray doesn't exist. But then Tori's like, ah, go to this time code. And it's Silver admitting he paid off the ref. Yeah. And damning him. And he comes in, strut, I love the, the strutting in. Who cares? Not doesn't matter. And it's like, ah, it, it kind of does. Um, <laughs> it kind of does a lot. A lot. And then, you know, and then Daniel shows up. And then, yeah, the fight between Silver and Daniel is nice. And it ends beautifully with the crane kick well and- I, actually let's go back okay to the whole uploading the thing the uploading the video because i thought that was uh brilliant storytelling because it did a whole bunch of callbacks so you look at all the people that are in miyagi-do now mm-hmm. so you got uh robbie mm-hmm. who was basically a professional criminal like he's used to breaking into places and stealing and robbing and doing all yeah. this kind of stuff you got um, Eli and Dimitri, the binary brothers, you know, who were computer geeks before, but now they're like karate masters. And that fight sequence in the office where yeah. they're both trying to upload the videos. It's like, okay, I'll fight for a bit. Okay, now it's back to you. I'll fight for a bit. You know, they're moving monitors, moving computers, trying to keep all that stuff going. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, the Asian dude who was the bully from the first one. Oh, I can't remember his name now. But yeah, he, oh God, I, I just, he's the sort of guy who's just very punchable. Yeah, uh, I just can't. can't Anyways, you'll find it. But he, so he's fighting them, and Hawk's saying it's like, dude, everybody's kicked your ass so far, and me, or or, yeah, Dimitri's. Oh well, I haven't yet. He's like, well, let's let's switch. (laughs) Dimitri dance to goes and they just wrecks him. Yeah, such a beautiful moment, and again, such good storytelling because it's like 
drawing in all the character strengths. And then when they have to upload it, they have to get out of the office. That's protect the egg. Yeah. And that's the whole waiting for that computer to finish uploading. And then that it pops up on the monitor. And he quickly, you know, casts to the screen. So it shows. And, and that's when silver comes swaggering in, you know, I've already been in a fight today and ah, that doesn't matter. And yes, it does. Um, and, and another thing too, okay, going back to when Chosen and Johnny show up at Cobra Kai and they have to take on the sensei. Mm-hmm. It's like, Chosen's like, I could beat up six of the old senseis myself, no yeah. problem. It took two of us to defeat this one guy. So, and so as far as raising the stakes, when Johnny's there having to defeat six of them all by himself. All by himself. It's like, that's like fighting 12 people. Yeah. According to the information we had before. Yeah, and what's nice is, you know, the sonogram falls out and he looks at it and at this point you know he he hit he'd gotten some good licks in but they had really ganged up on him and he says that you know i'm all hopped up on was it red, red bull and whiskey <laughs> white claw and whiskey uh, white white claw and whiskey and we really get to see johnny come into his own yeah beast mode like protecting his family yeah. it's like this is what he's capable of at this yeah, point and he i mean he does some- he wrecked four of them Yes, yes. Which, according to the stats, is like eight people. Eight, and then Barnes, who had been taken out with a a, a trophy to the back of the head, the bad boy of karate. Yeah, um, he comes in, and he, I didn't know that the spear from WCW was a a, a karate move, but I guess it is because he spears this guy, and then they do some ground and pound. But yeah, I was just like Goldberg spearing. And I love how Johnny says, "Yeah, most of these were mine." <laughs> that reminds me of Legolas and Gimli. You know, it's like, yeah, like we're both the bad boys of karate. One. <laughs> yeah, the elephant counts as one. Um, but yeah, so this whole season has been fun. Um, let's go deep into um, Daniel versus Silver. All right, because yeah. for me, that was one of the greatest fight scenes of all time. Even though technically not a lot happened, but emotionally, no, was, yeah. so much happened was crazy. It was, a, it was a big emotional fight in terms of um, Daniel finally getting to exercise the demons from Karate Kid 3. Because up until that point, he didn't get a chance to fight Chosen in Karate Kid 3 because he was dealing with Barnes the whole time. So well, I have something to say about that, but we'll get back to it. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Say something. Thousands of the best home bakers. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm hearing extra audio. Um, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> Probably we'll fix that in post. Yes. So going back, time skip, when Chosen and Johnny are walking and Johnny's saying, it's like, oh, yeah, I beat him up back in high school. Yeah. And Chosen, yeah, you told me a lot about that. It's like, well, I, you know, I robbed his girlfriend when they were on a date. It's like, oh, yeah, I pushed him down a cliff. It's like, yeah, well, we fought to the death. What are you, a ghost? <laughs> you mean that? Yeah, that was one of my favorite lines. I like the fact that they were like, trying no, to one-up each other as to how much damage they did to Daniel. Yeah, they were doing that. And they like, no, 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 he gave me mercy. It's like, yeah, Daniel or Lurso always fought for what he thought was right. It's like, yeah, I know. I saw him save a girl from a typhoon. And, yeah. And they, and it's like, yeah, I saw him beat up a hockey team single-handedly. And, <laughs> and then they start, like, like elevating. Yeah, like, oh, well, Daniel. he can do this. He can do that. He can walk on water. Yeah, I saw him paralyze a guy with one hit. Who do you think taught him that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fight between uh, Johnny and Silver, or not Johnny and Silver, uh, Daniel and Silver was not crazy technical. Um, you know, there was really a lot of Daniel taking the, the, the lead on that. But a lot of it was 
Daniel never initiated the attack. It was a lot of him counterattacking. And and yeah. he used the Quicksilver method. Yeah, and he even, you know, because the thing is, 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 you know, Silver taught it to him in, in three, the whole bloody the knuckles thing. And, but at the same time, there was a lot of, um, a lot of LaRusso's blocks were like two-handed blocks, stuff that he learned from Miyagi. He didn't use a lot of the stuff that he did with Silver other than like the arm bar and holding him down. Um, but it was the techniques that he used because the Quicksilver method is like man can't stand, man can't fight. Yeah. First strike, bam, take out of the leg. Man yeah. can't breathe, man can't fight. So Silver came at him with the silver bullet. Yeah, and he hit Miyagi Toe well, and then did like a Ryu Kachu to the lungs and knocked out his lungs. Yeah. Man can't see, man can't fight. Crank yeah, well, to the face. Well, he was using it against him in a way. Um, yeah, because he knows the technique. When, when Silver did try to do that punch and he caught it between his elbow and his knee. Yeah. Um, and then he does like the double punch, take out his lungs. Um, little things like that. It, it made it a fun fight. And then, you know, then Silver grabs like one of the trophies. Um, and that's and when I can't see man can't fight. Yeah. That's Dan kick to the eyeballs. Yeah. Boop. Kicks it just as his head's turning, like snaps his head back rocks him into the the whatever the glass is behind him and yeah at that point it's like okay i think the fight's over and then i think everyone comes in gives him the hug and all that other you know and then all the cobra kai take off the jerseys like yeah everyone's taking off the jerseys and pitch i'm like we're going to keep them warm at least um <laughs> until you know and the fact carmen didn't get kicked in the stomach made me so happy there's yeah. a whole bunch of happy ending stuff in this one yeah i i like the fact that Johnny's got the new family on the way. The fact that his ex-wife is like, Johnny, you can do this. You know, yeah. You made mistakes with, with me, you made mistakes with Robbie. This is your chance to do it right. And it was it was a nice touch. It really is. I like the fact that we'll be going into season six, possibly, you know, baby already born or, or baby just about to be born. So that'll be some nice drama there where John's like, I gotta go to the hospital. Stop. Punching me, I got to go to the hospital. My my kid's about to be born, and the fact that there was the fight between Miguel and Robbie, oh, that was amazing. And, and then when he tells and them, the, yeah. they echoed it to the point where now Robbie's on the railing. Yeah, and yeah. Johnny's thinking, oh, this might have been a bad idea. And Miguel's just going savage, having flashbacks of what happened in season two. But then he like, stops. Yeah, he stops. He's like, I don't want to. I don't want to. And it's he, funny because him having mercy. In season two is what caused that accident to happen. Yeah, yeah, but it was and nice. he had mercy a second time. But it was he said, you know, I didn't want to make a mistake that'll haunt me for the rest of my life. And then Robbie's like, that mistake haunts me. You know, kicking him over haunts him. But it was nice. And then Johnny comes running and says, "You can't do this when the baby arrives." And they're both like, "Baby," because now these two are going to have a half brother, binary brothers. Yeah, but they're now going to be the the half brothers of this new baby. You know, yeah, this kid's going to get like from both sides. He's going to get quite the karate education as as he grows up. So, yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to to season six. Now, if I had to rate the seasons, this was not my favorite season, but it was. Pretty- what would you say is your favorite? Um, I don't know if I can rate a favorite for myself, but season one honestly was it was such a pleasant surprise. Because when I heard, the, oh, they're going to, you know, Cobra Kai, they're, they're basically, it's like a sequel to the Karate Kid movies, 
but done as an episodic, I was like, there's so many ways this could go wrong. There's so many ways this could just turn out horribly. Yeah. And it didn't. It was such a surprise um, that they were, you know, advanced however many, you know, 30 plus years to, to get us to where we are, but to make it plausible. Um, so season one really held that bar really high. Every season, I think, has just come just under it. There's been no low seasons. Um, but I think of all the seasons, season one is my favorite because to, it had the most, to me, it was the most draw of pulling you right from movie one right into it. Um, okay. So it's, it, but this also kind of sets up with this international competition. This does set up a way for, um, uh, God, yeah, I just blanked on her name now. The, the girl, like him. Um, the girl from uh, the, the fourth Karate Kid movie. Oh, for her. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember her name either. There is a way for her now to come in. Jessica. The next Karate Kid. Julie Pierce. Julie Pierce. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, Hillary Swank, if you're listening. Oh, there we go. Which Hillary I doubt. Swank, yeah. But who knows? This is the way for her to show up. This would be a beautiful way for her to show up into this. It sounds like the writers have wanted to find a way to bring her in. Yeah, they well, tend that... to bring people in at the right time when they need to. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's nice that they didn't just try to throw everybody they could in like the first two episodes, sort of thing. They're 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 pacing it out. Like Mike Barnes showing up was a nice surprise. It was so good. I knew he was going to be in this season. I, I knew it too, but it was a nice surprise of like the way they did it. It's like we're just going to take their legs off with like a saw, and and they're like, "Hold!" It's like, "No, he furniture. That's where. That's what. That's what he moved on to." And you're like, "Oh!" But, and then it burns down. Then there's the yeah. party limo, and then he's just one that instigates yeah. the raid on Silver. So good. So yeah, I I had a good time with the way that they brought Barnes in. And, you know, it's been a fun season. Season five has been fun. I can't wait for season six. Yeah, for myself, with all the different seasons, I like how they keep ramping up the stakes every single one. And, like, season two, the high school fight, for me, was incredible. Like, just where Hawk goes completely psychotic. Um, Season four, the tournament, you know, where Hawk wins. That was incredible. Um, and then this season that the fact it went full 80s bonkers and it held up I th- there's some stuff in this season that's easily my favorite just because it shouldn't work it's so and it good. does it does which is yeah and there the payoffs and there's actually like I thought chosen died I thought crease died you know I thought Johnny might die it's like is there another season because this really could be the end there's a lot of people die I thought the unborn baby could die. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. But that kind of brings up the next point is where do you see this going after the season? And I think we should probably do this after we reset. Well, we got a couple months. I'm going to say the the plan is, I think, I mean, they've got this big international competition to go to. Now, both Cobra Kai and Miyagi-Do are invited to it. Yeah. So we've got people trying to ramp up for that um because of the you know the prizes and all the, and the international acclaim and, and so on and so forth because they're doing it for different reasons but that could be the focus of season six is 
the training to be good enough to qualify for the, you know, to be in this, this tournament and perhaps even winning it. And then who's the students? Who are the villains? Who's on each side? Because right now it seems like every single kid is on Miyagi-Do at this point. Everyone who we know has abandoned Cobra Kai. I see. The thing is, is also with Crease on the run, that you know, that's it, it's it puts some some nebulous things out. Like Chosen's going to go back to Okinawa. I think he's going to stick around. And uh, what's her name? The girl he's into. Uh, I think she's going to show up. Well, oh, maybe. What's her name? Kumiko. 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 Yeah. I think she's going to show up. Like I think the show writers, they put that thread in there. I think he's going to get a happy ending. And the way I see it is Kreese is out of jail. He's now like an escape criminal. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be the snake in the shadows. Um, Sensei Kim is going to run Cobra Kai. Okay. But Kreese, you know, because he's like the elder and the way Silver was to her, Kreese will run it from the shadows. She'll be the front man. They're going to bring in the international students. So it's going to be the Valley students versus whatever evil villain students the yeah. hand of the fist Cobra Kai has to throw at them. That's the way I see it going. And if that happens, it could be so epic. It could be completely if, if they bring the student, like the hand of the fist students in from Korea. Because uh, it's international. No, they've got to bring in Chuck Norris. They have to. Either either as a guest ref or a guest. Oh, imagine he was the ref. That would be amazing. Just something. I said that last what? podcast. They have to bring him in. Yeah, Chuck Norris has to show up. Some if, if, at the tournament, even if he's like one of the guest referees, like just or even a guest judge at the table. Bring in Chuck Norris, goddammit. All right. So that is a recap of Cobra Kai. Um, and if you haven't watched it, why? And I don't think we can be friends, Gavin, Troy. He ain't lying. Anyways, um, so if you don't like the sound of my voice, this might be a time for you to maybe end your listening of the podcast. I'm going to be talking for a lot because we have some more topics to cover. I don't know how much of this stuff Mike has watched. So he'll be interjecting here and there. But without Troy to to pipe up or Gavin, it's going to be a lot of me. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just chirping from the sidelines at this point. Take it away, Trevor. All right. Love your voice. All right. So... This Thursday, mean green and straight poured into these jeans. She-Hulk, attorney at law. This was actually a very law-heavy episode, which was nice. There was a lot of time spent in the courtroom. Um, because at the end of the last episode, um, Titania had, she was, you know, she's a social media influencer, had trademarked the name She-Hulk right out from under Jennifer Walters. So... As it starts out with, you know, she's now, uh, Walters is driving into work and she sees all these billboards and starts seeing all these commercials for She-Hulk brand line of beauty products. Some of them are actually like snake oil. Um, And she's like, well, what the hell? So the firm says, well, you've got to deal with this because we hired She-Hulk. And she's like, but I, I, and she's like, well, they, she trademarked the name ahead of you. You've got to get ahead of this. So one of the other attorneys at the firm takes the case and says, all right, I'm the attorney. You're the client. You're not, you know, you're not being your own, your own lawyer for this. Um, and 
At the same time, her her legal assistant and one of the other lawyers just came up with an uh, the, the idea. They're going to get a superhero suit for 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 Walters. Um, also because she also needs some regular clothes as well. So they go to an exclusive tailor who deals with, you know, very provides very clandestine tailoring services for heroes and villains and whatnot. Um, there's a whole funny thing where they're they have to buy the Avengers knockoff bootleg shirts and hats and shit. I love the Avengers or the Avengers. Um it's just great. Do you and, think and, Disney trademarked those? They should. I don't know, but there has been a lot of stuff on Facebook that people have made their own versions. Like there's a one of the Avengers, which is like they took the movie poster for the Avengers, where they're all standing around, and like Hulk is purple with green pants, and um, Captain America's shield is it looks like an, an American flag, and it's cost, it's it's hilarious. Um, anyways, and so it's kind of a spoiler. So so Pug admits that he he collects sneakers and he wants um uh he wants her help to like the the what's her face the the, the forgot her name forgot her name um nikki he wants her to help him acquire these iron man brand nike shoes that are, that are coming out but you're only allowed one per customer so he wants her to stand in line so we can get two pairs one to wear and one to to, to show and she's like, you buy shoes and don't wear them. He's like, I, I, I'm a sneaker file. Anyways, so while this is going on, um, Walters and her attorney book counter Sue saying that she's exploiting the She-Hulk name for business. And at first they're like, well, she doesn't want to be She-Hulk. But they're able to find in the, God, the worst way possible, they use her Tinder dates as an exec, because she made a Tinder profile or whatever the, the app is they say on that one. She made a Tinder profile of She-Hulk to get some dates, proving that she used the She-Hulk name for, for her personal gain. Um, and so these dates have to come up to the witness stand and talk about their time with She-Hulk. And it is horrifically embarrassing, but funny at the same time. Um, and it's kind of funny um but the best part for that whole episode the big payoff is when walters goes back to the clothing designer to pick up her outfits and she's trying stuff on and he's like oh you could you know, put this in like, you cover this up and one of the other people have like a hat box and they're putting the lid on the hat box and inside is the yellow daredevil helmet as they're putting the lid on. And it's such a great moment. It is, we know we're going to see Daredevil. That's that's already been been said. It's such a great moment. But to finally see it um, was such a big time. It was like, fuck yes. We finally get to proof that he's coming and he's wearing the, the red and gold outfit. Um, it's such a great moment. Now, this episode differs from all the other She-Hulks in two ways. One... The opening title card is She-Hulk by Titania, and it's in, so it's in, in pinks and all. Basically, she took over the title card because she owned the She-Hulk thing. And at the end, there's no post-credit or mid-credit scene. Like, like it's not there. And at first, I was like, well, what the I fuck? I went looking for it. I went digging. It's yeah. Like, did they put it after this? Is it in, like, the multi-language spot? Like, yeah. I was it? like, what? And the, the real key is, so they have... Um, basically like the, the, the courtroom drawings is part of the end credits. 
And in one of the frames of the courtroom, you know, the end credits courtroom drawing style is Pug and Ramos in the shoe store and he's holding up the Iron Man shoe. That's not the, the, the big thing. The big thing is the shoes on the wall behind them. There is Deadpool. There's a Deadpool. There's a, there's a Wolverine. There's a Cyclops. There's a Korg. That's what's tying it in. So there's X-Men shoes that people are buying. It's a nice way of you know slowly tying these two franchises into into one another, but they don't just come right up and say, "Look, X Men on the front page." Um, they're doing it in a very subtle way, and this was done beautifully. And unless you were really paying attention to those drawings, um, you know, you'd miss it. And it was just happened that I paused the screen because the dog came in, and I was dealing with her, and I turned back, I looked through, and is. That's Cyclops. That's Wolverine. That's Deadpool. Son of a bitch. Why do I want some Cyclops shoes right now? I don't know. Um, and the thing is, it got the visor is like on top of the tongue. So it's like, just I mean, you can't miss it. When you see that still frame, you can't miss it. It's 100%. These are, and I think there's even a Falcon one in there. Like the, the, the red and white Falcon, like the original Falcon uniform. Because you can see. Oh, I didn't notice that one. Yeah, it's. I think it's on the opposite wall. There's like you see like a, a it's a red a white sneaker with like red accents and a little red wing. So little stuff could be the Detroit Red Wings. I don't know. Um, but anyways, it's stuff like this that it really makes me happy that they're inserting stuff. I mean, this episode was basically a filler episode. It was a way of. I mean, her and Titania are going to have to come to blows at some point, but who knows? Um. Was it a favorite episode? No, not by any means. Um, just, as I said, filler getting us to next Thursday. That's yeah, for myself, at this point, I'm watching it just for these geeking off the page discussions. Um, I would have tapped out episodes ago. <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of the feminist writing. If I look at She-Hulk compared to the stuff we discussed in Cobra Kai mm -hmm. and the narrative threads and what the overall message is, like, this last episode was so much. Oh my god, it's so hard to date in your 30s. And oh, all my Tinder boyfriends, they're so embarrassing. And I have to use them to win my court case. And oh my god, I need some new clothes. It's like this yeah. isn't the John Byrne She-Hulk I know. That's well, it's it's unfortunate, but also I think some of Byrne's some of the writing he did for that th those comics would not translate well to today. It would not. It I would... agree. <laughs> I agree with that, but you could keep the spirit of it in a certain way. Like there's a certain cheesecake, a certain playfulness. Um, again, yes. it was written by a male comedy writer for male comic book. Yeah. Yeah. Guys like it's different. They took this and decided to give it to female writers and do a more feminist spin on it. And like the two, I guess ideas of comedy, the two mm -hmm. points of view where the story is coming from is completely different. Whereas one is like, oh my God, it's so hard to be, you know, a 30 year old lawyer who doesn't have a boyfriend who's trying to be a professional in this hard world with a bunch of guys rather than it's like, look at She-Hulk. She's awesome. Let's do funny things. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have I some mean, fun. It's, it's, I think it's also, I mean, the audience they're targeting for. Um, and I'm curious because Troy said, and Troy, you know, interject if you want, since you edit this, 
Um, he said his daughter was all interested in watching it. And so, you know, that's a very young girl who's interested in the series. Yeah. I'm kind of curious about that. Um, with me, I don't like it enough where I'm watching it with my family. So I have no idea. Well, you you know, ask, I'm watching it on the side in the work. You know, ask your daughter, see if they're they're watching it. Um, I'm pretty sure they're not. <laughs> they were watching Young Weird Al Yankovic upstairs, upstairs right now. Oh, okay. I mean, Harry Potter. Yeah. Oh, okay, him. Um, yeah. Um, so something else that came out this week uh, that I did catch: uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Oh, I did not see that. Um, on Netflix, uh, ten episodes. Um, did you watch all ten? I watched all ten. Um, all right. Info dump. Jack me in. All right. It's, it's, Hank. This is our college cyberpunk adventures. A hundred percent. You've got, you know, you've got a young man who uh, he's attending a very prestigious academy. His mom can barely afford, kind of doesn't want to go, finds out that his mom, to make ends meet, she works as a, you know, she's one of the, the trauma people, like, you know, the, the, the trauma doc sort of thing. Um, so we, it starts out, we see a soldier going cyber psycho, you know, so much cybernetics. He, he basically goes through complete psychosis and just starts killing indiscriminately and eventually they call out uh max tech who are there there basically they know how to take out heavily cyber like cyber augmented people and they kill him and so he's our our protagonist is watching this through a sim vr someone had what was that called him. in our cyberpunk john scallon days c swat yeah yeah cyber swat so so this kid david um finds out that his mom she is like one of the trauma teams that works these various sites. She has been stealing tech and selling it through the black market. That's how she affords to pay. can afford to pay for, for his, you know, this high end education through one of the corporations. Anyways, on the way home, um, after his, he had some pirate tech that kind of frizzed out what the, the, the lesson at the school and the mom's all pissed off. So they're on the way home. She's, she's has told the school she'll pay for damages and they get caught in the middle of a street battle. Like they get caught in a crossfire. And the car flips. He wakes up. Trauma teams show up. They scan both of them and go, oh, no, no, uh, no contract, no contract, and leave. And he basically watches his mom in front of him. Like he's trapped in the in the car upside down. The seatbelt won't disengage. His mom's laying on the road and she's dead. Or by the time, oh no, sorry, she's dying. They get her to like a, just a, a city doc. He's like, we perform the surgeries that we can based on her insurance plan. She's stable. How are we going to pay for this? And then he goes to goes to class, gets beaten up by the son of one of the, the higher corps who uses a, 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 a chipped in fighting skills, beats him up, finds out his mom's died. So now they're like, so uh, we can drop the body off at your house. Or we could drop it off at a funeral home, or for a cheaper expense, we can just cremate her. And so you see him with the the urn of his mother's ashes, and you've got the school calling him saying, "Where's the money you promised us?" He's locked out of his apartment because his mom hadn't paid rent. Um, but he finds in her bag a uh, uh, Sandvestian cybernetic implant for the spine. Basically, a, a a nerve jacker, you know, speed up your nervous system. 
and he takes it to uh, the the local ripper dock and has it installed. And realizes with this, he can accelerate himself to an unnatural degree for a very brief period of time. And that's kind of how the whole series starts. Pretty much like most of our campaigns would start. So it's just like, it's pure. So is this an actual series then? It's a continuing story, not a bunch a, of shorts? It is a 10 episode continuing series. I thought it would be like Star Wars Visions with no, the no, but it is, ones. and each episode is anywhere between twenty three to twenty six minutes long, and honestly, not long enough because there's just so much shit going. Like he ends up, he, um, so the Sanderson gives him superhuman strength, speed, and reflexes for a very brief period of time. Doc warns him you can use it maybe twice before the meat's going to fail. In a single day, he uses it eight times. He just has an unnatural ability to withstand the effects after the time it gets a bit of a nosebleed that sort of thing he meets up with a pickpocket who uh steals people's chips out of their head as she walks by on the subway um and so he decides to kind of hook up with her meanwhile um company that that developed this they realize you know he of course like any kid goes and gets revenge on his bully beats the shit out of him and his dad's like, huh, well, looks like he can withstand using it. Let's use him as a test subject. Um, you know, fuck my son. You know, little bastard should have put up more of a fight. Anyways, um, so David ends up um, connecting with Lucy, the pickpocket, who's part of a larger gang, a larger street gang, um, led by a guy named Maine, just like the state, who's this big, big cybernetic guy. Um and so they have a bunch of jobs and throughout these jobs, he, he's learning, you know, how to drive, how to shoot, how to be basically a street samurai. And it's, it's a really fun episode. Like the whole season is just so much fun to watch. I highly recommend it. If you like cyberpunk in any way, they have net running beautiful. I mean, beautifully choreographed battles um and characters are not bulletproof people take damage people people on the on the team die um and yeah it's it is so much fun to watch i had a great time watching this whole whole season world of one followed by a 20 damn it yeah yeah there's so many of that um and it's just yeah i had so as i said i had so much fun watching this whole whole season um, and yeah, there's like, uh, like at, at some point Maine goes cyber psycho and there's, you can tell because they start with like hand twitching and then their vision starts burning out. And it looks like that at one point they have like three pupils going on because, you know, they're, they're starting to get all jittery. Um, it's yeah. And, and as I said, I just had such a fun time with this whole shit, this whole series, you gotta watch it. I don't want to give away how it goes, um, but yeah. At one point, David eventually takes over running the crew, and holy shit, when he does, it's it's impressive. It's come a long way from that skinny little, you know, high school student sort of thing. Again, well, I'm sold. You know, I'm a just huge like, cyberpunk fan, so yeah, I'm just, all in. Yeah, and they they balance it nicely in terms of. 
Um, we're mainly following David, but we also follow some of the side characters to get some of their backstory here and there. Um, and the way they handle uh, net running works really well. So, yeah. It, and if uh, you've watched it all the way to the end, you think they land the ending? They do. They land the ending well enough that I was like, huh. And I looked over my bookshelf and like, where's my cyberpunk book? Um, <laughs> realizing I, I probably need some of the updates. Um, it really made me want to play cyberpunk again. It really did. It's, I mean, the, the, and this is done. I mean, this is written by the same guys. Um, what's, what's their name? CD, uh, CD project bread who did the, the video game. Um, this is done by Studio Trigger, one of the people, one of the, the studios that did like the the uh, the Star Wars mini shorts there that we watched. Um, it is so much fun, as I said. I mean, I've I've seen the 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 game, the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven by CD Projekt Red. This would fit in perfectly, and I believe this is part of an update they're doing to the game. Um, so they'll be able to meet some of the characters from this, sh the show in the game and stuff like that. But yeah. as you we were talking, I've been Googling stuff on the side and looking at little clips and Forbes says that cyberpunk edge runners has some of Netflix highest audience scores ever. Yeah, I can see why I, this is, it is such a fun series to watch. It really is. And the, the animation is just, you know, right on par, like just it's everything it needs to be without going over the top. It was so much fun to watch. I, I honestly wish is I it could... set up to have a season two. Does it look like it'll continue? Or I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that's too big of a spoiler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no comment. Exactly. I'll say no comment, but I will say that. I mean, I was ready. It, the show kind of. I think it around, um, it's like, I think it's after episode six, the show takes a hard turn because there's so much that goes on in episode six. Okay. That seven feels like almost like a, is the start of the season two, but it's not. That's all I'm going to say. You'll, when you're watching the episode, you'll know when you hit see episode seven, you're like, this eh, season, this is this season one, season two, episode one. Uh, but it's not. But yeah, okay. they could have they honestly, they could have released the first six as season one and then released, you know, seven through 10 as season two. And it, people wouldn't have, there would have been no outcry about that other than why the fuck are you making us wait a whole year for, for season two? Right. Yeah. That's, that's how good I think this is. Like, it's just, it's, it was a fun watch. Okay. I may have to binge this for next week. Yes. Yes. Please do. I, I definitely want your take. You know, Gavin's take, we play, played Cyberpunk, Troy, anyone who's played Cyberpunk has to watch this because I'd love to see how Scallon reacted to it. Like that, that would be a huge one. We should bring him on as a guest. Yeah. And just, I think hearing his take on this, because I got so many flashbacks of Scallon's Cyberpunk adventures while watching this. I was just like, holy shit. I'm like, yeah, we could have totally been that, that cold crew there. That would have been us. Yeah, in the adventure, we're we're seeing like the other the NPCs in the background, but now it's like the NPCs are the the main focus. And it's like that totally could have been us over there. Man, I remember the very first cyberpunk adventure was gone. We were rolling up all the characters. I decided to like you know a grungy street 
cyberpunk type dude so he had like a revolver because he was old school mm-hmm. green mohawk trench coat you know we were all part of the police force you know the big fight happened you know roll the damage mm-hmm. shot in the head dead first game was like what in the hell so when i came back next one okay new character i am gonna skeleton proof this character so hard it didn't, it didn't didn't matter it did Oh man, I had that character, the Malcolm Rhodes. He had the cybernetic arm, the big cyber killing gun. His authority was 10. He o- would order orbital strikes and just take out the whole strip. <laughs> as, like, okay, roll your authority, 10 followed by a uh, 10. Yeah, I, I remember. Okay, we... so you call up the military and it's an orbital strike and they're all dead. Yeah, we did. I think with the, the one campaign I did with him, we were all cops. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, I think Gavin was like the, the completely cybernetic. Appleseed. Yeah, but he was also corrupt. What did he call it? Ferris? I think the character's yeah, name is Ferris. Was, wasn't he corrupt as... Well, I know one of the members of the team was corrupt as hell and reporting on us the whole time in the back. Oh, I think that was Matt Campbell's character. He had the assassin chick who was evil. Well, like, if I, I remember I remember right. is, is we're like, we offed some guy on the street, not intentionally, but he did attack us. And we were like, we could let him go. And I was like, it's going to come to bite us in the ass. And I just like, bang, killed him. And then, like, next thing I know, I'm being, like, thrown against the car in handcuffs because suddenly the co- other cop showed up. I'm like, you killed this guy. I'm like, the only pe- people who witnessed it is our team. That's the, I mean, there was no cameras because I had made sure there was no cameras. There was no way anyone saw that. And they knew exactly who to grab. And I was like, son of a bitch, someone's squealing. We have a mole. <laughs> I just Gavin, remember Gavin going, there's no mole on this team. I'm like, it's probably you then. What well, could have been? I guess the cyborg. Yeah. yeah the, like, or because uh, the, the person who claims the robot could have been monitored. Yeah. yeah. I was I was so pissed at that because I had to sit a game out because I was while well, they processed me and and uh, figured out if they were going to press charges and then like, ah, it's not worth it. Reinstate them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, if Gavin was here, he could, you know, plead for his defense, but yeah. he's not. So we'll just say he's the guilty party and be done with it. Sure, I'll take it. Um, so yeah, so my recommendation is definitely if you haven't go watch Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix, ten episodes. You're not wasting your time. You'll have a good time watching it. All right, sold. All right, from there. So on Friday, uh, yesterday, um, my daughters, my wife, and I, uh, we watched the Disney Plus Pinocchio. The... I thought you were going to say Morbius. No, well, no, I'll, I'll get to that. Oh my god. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll just do a quick thing. So I made the so Morbius was on Netflix, and I thought it can't be as bad as people say. Was it? It was fucking worse. I don't know how this travesty could be made. Like, I, I'll I, say, I thought the trailer looked fairly decent for a crappy side spin Spider-Man villain movie. Daniel Espinosa should be hiding in shame at this moment. Um, the fact that they spent what eighty plus million dollars making this movie—I mean, it made one hundred and sixty back in the box office. So, in theory, I mean, the idea is for whatever budget a movie is, you have to double it to to for their advertising. So, if you if a movie cost fifty million dollars, you know they probably spent about a hundred million total, fifty on the movie and fifty on advertising. So, in theory, this movie broke even, but that's not good enough because this movie was so fucking terrible. Effects that may would have made you sit up and go, ooh, that's interesting. Maybe back in 2005. Luckily, maybe in 2005, you're like, ooh, that's an interesting effect. You got to remember, Lord of the Rings came out around that time. So 
it'd be some heavy competition. This movie had terrible writing, terrible effects, story written on like a gum wrapper. Um, it was just, oh, and the acting. I'm sorry. You could have used two by fours with angry faces drawn on them and just paraded them around in front of the camera. It would have been a better acted film. Uh, like was, lethargic last. This was such a waste of Matt Smith. I'm surprised he hasn't scrubbed this off his resume. Matt Smith's in this movie, by the way, if you didn't know. I didn't know that. He's he's the Or maybe I did. Yeah, but I've was, kind of scrubbed this movie from my memory it as was well without such seeing a, it. Such a waste. Um yeah. And I mean Michael Keaton makes a, a an appearance at the end as Falcon, or sorry, as 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 Vulture. Vulture. Um but even that can't save the movie. It was just fucking terrible. Holy shit, I I can't tell you how much I hated that movie. Anyways, so back to Pinocchio. The family and I are watching Pinocchio. It is honestly, nothing's changed from the animated version. Not a goddamn thing. They, in lockstep with the animated version. There was no deviation. All the same major scenes. A lot of the same major... They didn't even change the dialogue. Monster was looked kind of cool because instead of just being a giant sperm whale... He was a little bit more monstrous and had giant tentacles coming out from behind his fins. So that's weird. Yeah, he's okay. more of a more of a kraken whale sort of thing. That was about the only change in the whole goddamn film. And the fact that at the end they said, "Well, you don't know if Pinocchio became a real boy, but as he's walking away with Geppetto, as they're walking walking off, you can see his wooden limbs turn into like flesh because you see like the joint, like a, a standard." Hinge, like a wooden mechanical hinge joint turns into like an actual knee. That's your only indication that, you know, he actually turned into a real boy. Um, but what about Stromboli? Oh God. So one of the worst, so I, the thing I love about the original animated Pinocchio movie was Stromboli animated by Bill Taya. He, that character had power. That character had a presence on screen. When Stromboli's on the screen in the animated version, you can't take your eyes off. And the way he moves, the way he acts, the the voice, everything is just amazing. And you were in fear for Pinocchio. Yeah, you were like, holy shit, Pinocchio's, he's, he's going to die. Um, or he's going to be hurt by this guy. So they got this other, this Italian actor to be Stromboli. The guy's not a small guy. He's, he's pretty heavy set. But that looks like they put him in this like, comical fat suit and then this horrible like pubic hair beard something that you wouldn't even buy at a costume shop because it was that'd be too expensive it looks like power is fat bastard not even that good it looks like they just like cut some people's hair and then like randomly glued it to his face and you can see him sweating and you can see him sweating over the appliances like it just was not good not good at all and the way it was acted it was just like did he even watch the animated version he's supposed to be, you know, using as a guide? Because Stromboli was just a giant comic relief for no reason. You weren't afraid for Pinocchio. You were just more like, can Pinocchio get away from this guy? Can we advance the story because I'm bored of this guy? It was just, yeah, it felt so much. I even made a comment. It felt so much like at the last minute, they're like, oh, shit, we forgot Stromboli. Uh, you, 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 come here, come here. We're going to dress you in, in a costume. Um, just kind of be big, fat, and menacing. Go. And and that's as much as they did. And it was just to see one of my childhood villains 
reduced in such a way. It was just like, oh, that's always a shame. It was just, I was just like, that is, that fucking sucks. Now, something else I did because I can't leave it alone. Um, so anyone who knows me has heard me complain multiple times about how much I fucking hate the fact that Disney is going out of their way to remake animated films, you know, as these live action travesties. And I was I've like, heard that before. Yeah, you, you might have heard that before if you listen to the podcast. Um, and part of it has been like, why are they doing it? Well, money. Simple as that. I mean, there's there's really no no other way. I and mean, there's this oh, well, we're reintroducing the classics to, to to the modern age. No, they can go watch the animated films. They hold up. They hold up well. The fact that a lot of these are shot for shot remakes, just with you know live action ish sort of you know. <laughs> I like the ish on the end of that. Well, I mean, like like <laughs> Lion King, that no animals were actually filmed. Um, so yeah, I'm going to share my screen here. And you're going to see my um, annoyance. So I have made this this chart in Excel. And I have the original film listed first. And then it's remake. I have the year. The budget they, they spent to make this film. How much the box office gross was. How much of a return they saw if you simply subtract the budget from the gross. And what kind of percentage they're looking at as a return. As you can see, Cinderella, The Jungle Book. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pin the original Pinocchio, over a thousand percent return on what they spent. You look at the live action versions. Some of them are pretty high, like 471% return. Some are in the red. Some are in the red. I look at anything under 200% is in the red because when you pay for the movie and advertising, you have to make double your budget back. Some of these films didn't do it. Some of these films didn't do it by a lot. Um, so something like Lady and the Tramp and Pinocchio were released directly to Disney Plus. So the revenue they see, their box office gross is new subscribers. So in the case of Lady and the Tramp, they spent 60 million making this film and they got 14.3 million back is what they made in new subscribers. So they lost $45 million. So this movie was a minus 70%, 76% loss from what they spent to what they got back. Mulan, which actually did go to theaters, lost 65%. Pinocchio was tracking to lose 83%. So some of these films, they're making for a giant loss. When you compare it to the originals where they're making over a thousand percent in revenue up, why are you remaking them then? Like, what's, what's the idea? Like, a couple of them, so uh, let's see, for example, The Lion King made $1.3 billion. I mean, I'm sorry, $1.6 billion in the box office. They made $1.3 billion in profit. But then again, you have to, you know, take away 200 or $250 million for advertising. They're still making a lot of money on that. Yeah, Lion King kicked ass. Jungle but, Book 2. Yeah, but the problem is... And Cinderella, actually. Yeah. Um, the, well, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and Lion King all made over a billion dollars in the box office, um, the, the remake versions. But the original Lion King made $968 million with one-fifth the budget. One-fifth the budget, and they made almost a billion dollars. 
I love Lion King as an example because that's when we keep talking about how that was one they weren't paying attention to it. So yeah. the artists did their thing and they made some movie magic and became a yeah. classic. And they made over a 2000% profit off the Lion King. Now, so I, as I said, I did this just to kind of put it on. So in terms of how much money they've spent on just these films, they've spent $1.8 billion. They've made back $9.2 billion. So they're sitting about 7.3 in, in profit, which is about 400% in profit so they've made four times as much money on the money they've spent that's good but when you start breaking it down film by film you start to realize they're not making as much on these newer films they're spending a lot more money for a lot less return so the problem is for me then why the fuck are you making it you know well, because there's people in the business someone who wants their name on it someone who wants to hire a director wants to be producer wants to cash in on something they know they can get a little bit back get, and, yeah get a little bit of money you know, back the mouse is going to be paying for it so as long as that pays for yeah, your condo it, and your car and i i look at it, it was the same as like when when gus van sant did a shot for shot remake of psycho mm -hmm. what the fuck was the point the movie's already been made once it was fine yeah it's considered, you know, to be one of the finer pieces of, of of cinema. Why would you remake it? I think if the real thing is if you're a director and you want to show your chops, don't remake a great movie. Take a terrible movie and remake it so it's an awesome movie. That's the challenge. Like Karate Kid 3? Yeah. Um, so well, it's, it's true. And that's what season five did. They took yeah, all the yeah, elements from a terrible movie and created one of the greatest but, entertainment things ever. Yeah, but to me, that's the mark of a real director is someone who can take something that was just fucking terrible and actually make something good out of it. It is possible. You can do it. But these these Disney remakes just they grind my gears to no end. Every time they're like, oh, now we're gonna remake it, just just fucking stop. All you're saying is that the people who are coming up with these ideas are so lacking in honest original ideas that they're just scrambling to justify why the hell they're employed you know just f cut the dead weight fire their asses and i know john favreau was talking about well the stuff they did in the jungle book helped them do the stuff that they did in the lion king yeah but both films run fucking necessary so you know th th that's 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 a moot point i so, did enjoy jungle book i've said that before yeah i think it was completely unnecessary and I will stand by that, but I did enjoy it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my rant on on Disney remake live action remakes of animated films. I just wish they'd stop talking about uh, the remakes, and we've been talking about the race swaps and everything else. And this giant freaking robot site uh, posted this thing, or I guess AI had decided to. Um, yeah, it, I guess do a deep fake on Ariel. And I don't know. This is better if you can hear the audio. I don't know if audio is enabled. It should be. Anyways, this very short clip. The thing is, you can see like her, her, her chest kind of darkens and brightens and dark. And then something happens to her eye there. When she blinks, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, uh, there's something kind of weird with it. But 
to me, it just captured more of what the original cartoon character looked like. And I know there's a whole contingency of people that say, well, we have to make characters that look like other characters or people or people that they can relate to and all that kind of stuff. Well, they didn't Fine. in Stromboli. Well, they didn't do that, <laughs> no. And I understand where that viewpoint's coming from. Like, you know, Patrick Stewart, Jean-Luc Picard was a hero of mine because I knew for sure, based on my family genetics, I was going to go bald at some point. It's like, yes, I can be a starship captain and just rock the bald look. So I understand there's a certain element of finding characters you can relate to visually. But I'll keep bringing up my son who wanted to be Black Panther, you know, Wakanda forever. You know, there's, I don't think you have to be bound by the skin pigment or hair follicles or hell even gender after watching the original wonder woman i wanted some golden bracelets that i could block bullets <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like you don't have to be confined by that so to make a remake of an animated cartoon that's basically shot for shot but then you introduce that so well what are we doing here is this pandering is this like a remake is this something else and somebody had posted, I don't know if it was from like a Little Mermaid cartoon or a sequel, but there was a dark skin mermaid in that mm -hmm. one. There was. There was why one not was, uh, make a movie about her? Yeah, there was there's one who was deaf, I think, because they had like aerial sign like using sign language. I honestly, when they said we're gonna remake the Little Mermaid, but we're gonna make the Little Mermaid black, I was like, you know, rather than doing the Disney version of the Little Mermaid. Right, like just, uh, scene for scene remake of yeah, just, the animated one. Yeah, just do a whole new movie with a mermaid. Yeah, what's 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 stopping you? Like, what's yeah. but no, they're gonna they want to cash in on the name again. You could have it off the coast of Africa, it could be an entire yeah. black cast, it could be a whole generation of people where this yeah. is their mermaid story. Yeah, like, I, I get sure, Watchmen. It, I'm sure there is cultures that 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 are along coastlines, I'm sure. You will find, so you know, th there's probably a cultural story of a of a mermaid somewhere in 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 you know anywhere, but it's just like I mean the original mermaids were manatees. That's because they they you know when they were in Florida and they would or in around the the Everglades they'd see the manatees like that must be a mermaid. See, I would have been really impressed if the live action version was a CG manatee that would sing to people like yeah, there you go like, who got legs and waddled around that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but I've just. <sighs> Again, it's Disney being they're trying to play it safe by by using name recognition, brand recognition of these, and then it's just then you get someone's like, well, let's 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 tweak a character or let's do this or let's do it's like you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, I guess, but stop making like stop remaking these animated films. Make new ones, new stories. I would love and, to see a new story. You know, honestly, I understand if it's a passion project somehow, like you know. For some reason, you know, if this movie was an actor's or producer's whatever dream of, you know, they always wanted to be a part of something like this, and they did a passion project where they did a, an Alan Moore remake, yeah, you know, for that inclusion and to, I guess, include, yeah, it's almost like a Miles Morales, even though that was a very like, you know, check the box to do a new one. Mm -hmm. But if it was, say, like Mark Bernardin wanted to do a Spider-Man story that he could relate to more and did a spin on it. Yeah. I could appreciate that a little bit more because you're trying to take an element that meant something to you and pull yourself into it to create this new entity. 
I could appreciate that. But yeah. these corporate things where it's just a straight remake for the cash grab and also trying to check all the diversity boxes, I just get so pissed off. Well, this is the thing that gets me is also so they they have cast Jonah Howard King as Eric, British actor, kind of looks like Eric from the the animated film. And someone on, on Facebook had posted, well, if you're going to, you know, do a black actress for for Little Mermaid, why don't you get Ruby Rose to be Eric? And you know, and so it's Erica, you know, and it's Princess, you know. If you're, if you're going to start changing stuff around and, and start changing the story, change more things then. Um, and honestly, I'm cool with that because I'd, it's, I'd be fine with that they're too. all make-em-up stories. Like, this didn't actually exist. This is all a make-em-up. Yeah. So you can do that, but at least you're more honest. Yeah, I mean... You're doing your own take. If they really wanted to be horrifying, they could do the original Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid, which little kids would not want to watch. It would be horrifying. See, I want to watch that one. Uh, no, you don't. No, you. I was. I remember when I read that story. Uh, actually, shortly after, I think it was sh- shortly after high school, but before college. And I was like, "This is dark. This is not something kids need to to see or or imagine." It's somebody it's- should do that. Honestly, like go back to all those original fairy tales and de disnify them. Like, yeah, like- yeah, un disnify them. There'd be a lot of bad endings. Um. <laughs> Yeah, they they did not for the most part they did not end well. So when I saw the 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 push for this for the Little Mermaid again, I was like, why the fuck are they remaking a perfectly good animated film? And they're like, oh, we're going to change it. But I was like, I don't care who's in the lead role. I don't care if they're black, white, green, a frog, a manatee, manatee. a manatee. That doesn't matter to me. I don't care about the skin color. Now, all the people are getting up in arms, but you can't change my Disney classic. I'm more of the camp of stop fucking with the animated films. That's my personal beef. I don't care if, if they're like, oh, we're going to make a whole new new, uh, you know, Little Mermaid film, whole new story, whole new... have at it, absolutely. We're going to make a shot-for-shot remake of the animated film. I'm like, do I need to punch you in the throat? Like... <laughs> And I agree. One thing that irks me, and I'm sure you feel the same way, working in computer animation and all this kind of stuff, is you know how much work goes into every single shot. And every shot, every frame. You're just doing a remake. You're doing a rotoscope of something that already existed. And there's no soul in it. This is a corporate cash grab. Yeah. And there were some shots in that trailer, the Little Mermaid one, which were beautiful. Like with the, the mermaid tail going underwater. It's like, absolutely beautiful did it need to happen no, no. what was i doing with five months of my life 10 yeah. months two years well however I, long it was i i read something from it it's, it's a disgruntled am- animator site and someone on there talked about their experience working on was it the lion king i think it was the lion king having to on their main monitor they've got the 3d software they're working in they have a secondary monitor that has like you know notes and all that stuff and the storyboards, and they have a third monitor of the scene from the original animated film looping, and they're having to and the notes they have is breaking down the scene that has the exact same length, and they're being told, and they have notes from the original scene that where to put the keys, where the you know, and basically they're just. 
following yeah it's just they're rotoscoping that because he even joked in there sometimes he saw other people who were taking the video footage because the whole film was cut up scene by scene by scene by scene by scene and you'd be, be assigned like you know shot 731 so you would get that you get all the information and including that would be a video file of shot 731 and some people were you know instead of just watching it on on a separate monitor embedded in behind their camera view so on their camera so they could see it in one of their windows to the camera view and they were just moving whatever it was whatever animal it was to match up exactly and then they delete the video file hand it to the supervisor and be like looks great hell that's what i would be doing and it would be soul sucking Absolutely. a little piece of my soul would die the entire yeah, time doing that. i would just be like i'm just doing this for the paycheck that's all I'm doing. That's that's entirely what you're doing that for, because you could honestly train a monkey to do that job. It requires no talent, no artistic talent, no vision. It's all been done for you. You're just moving the 3D model to match what's already been done, and then you hand it off to the next department to texture it and light it and do whatever with it, because there's absolutely no, no soul in it. Yes. One of the most fun things about working in feature films is the creativity aspect. Like when you can bring something to a character or a shot, that's uniquely you. I yeah. had so many of those moments on Hellboy, plus a bunch of other movies I worked on. But I, one for Hellboy was the Samael creature, like giving him the frog swim cycle. Yeah. Because originally you... it was supposed to be like a shark. It's like, well, no, Abe's going to swim like that because he's the mermaid guy. And yeah. the frog is a main character in the original Hellboy comic. So let's have Samuel swim like a frog as well. Well, you okay, do a test. And Garamo said, yeah, let's go with that. When you even mentioned, you know, having doing the Pris die sequence. Yeah. Steph, it inspired you to do that. I doubt you took the video file of, of Pris and put it in behind and matched it frame by frame by frame. Right. Just you, watched a lot of times, yeah. figure out some key frames and like, okay, what does this look like? And again, it's, a big demon instead of a small girl. So it's going to move different. Yeah. And but you get the inspiration and the inspiration. when it connects to people, it feels yeah. so good. I look at it as an, you use that to inspire yourself, but you then had to use your own creativity to make it work. And that's what gives you joy. Like, yeah. And when you, when you have animators, like that done. Yeah. When you work with other animators too, you realize that like when you're supervising animators and you give them that chance for creativity. It's like, hey, do your thing on this. And you see them light up and the animation comes to life and yeah. work becomes more joy. Like, I remember that's the way you should do it. Not I remember hey, working on um uh Gerald McBoingoin. And I mean, we were under such a crunch that they had com compositors animating and animators compositing. Like it was just <laughs> it was ridiculous. And I remember I got the scene. And it was just Gerald sitting there, you know, Gerald sitting there and his friends talking, blah, 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 blah. And Gerald sits there like a fucking statue. And I had been handed the scene to quickly composite. I looked at it and was like, I looked at Gerald and there was no animation at all. And I, rem I remember the uh, the head of the, the, the compositing department looked at me and he's like, Gerald's got to do something. He, it, it's a still frame. And I'm like, I can make him blink. I, he's like, he's like, try blinking him a couple times. Just make it look like he's actually alive and they didn't just replace him. So I had him blink a couple times and and I had like a slow shift, like so he just kind of shifts his weight from one to the other. It's moving hold. It was yeah, it was a moving hold. But I remember looking at it and going, mm, it's not enough. It's not. I mean, 
yeah, your attention's on the friend talking. And, but the problem was it wasn't a short scene. It was like nine seconds of this kid talking and gesturing and stuff and Gerald looking like a, a painting. And even though that he, you know, did a weight shift and he blinked like, you know, three, four times, it wasn't. A, so I just, you know, had him just lift his arm and go and put it back down. Just a simple, like, just, just, you know, any little kid would do it. Like you got a little, a little tickle in your nose. You just kind of wipe your nose and your arm and keep going. It took me, it, the whole thing was less than a second. It was 12 frames, just up, 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 down, down, down. And I remember the director stopped by my desk and he was like, you brought Gerald to life. Cause he, we would get notes about the scene. Like Gerald's not moving. Cause that was the problem is a couple of the animators, they would animate the primary character doing whatever. If there was a secondary character, they didn't move. And there'd be constantly like this, like, like the girl character. She needs to do something. She needs to, 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 you know, she's watching Gerald move around, making all these noises, and she's not reacting at all. It looks horrible. So positive part would be like, well, I'm going to get some animation in here. And, you know, I'd have her like, you know, she's watching Gerald and like, you know, maybe she like kind of roll her eyes a bit at some of the sound effects or, you know, kind of scuff her shoe a bit just to move her, just to make her do something. Yeah. And... So I think it was after we did Gerald and we were on to a different production. Um, our line producer had cherry picked a handful of scenes, including the little wiping the nose scene. And he was playing it for the new animators and saying, these are the little things you need to do to secondary characters. Even if it's a primary character who's in a secondary role, they still have to move. They still have to look like they're doing things that living people do. Because the second they stop, because this is all done on computer, even though it's it, it looks hand drawn, but it's all being done digitally, the character's not gonna like the lines aren't gonna boil and give them like like false movement. They're just gonna stop and look like they just became part of the background. You have to move them, and it was such a just a little moment that you could see all the different people like oh oh, and then someone had said, well, what what can we do? And and I remember the line producer saying, anything that comes into your fucking mind that does not distract from the main performance but still keeps them alive. Other than that, sky's the limit. Yeah. And suddenly we had people like, you know, character would do this as he's waiting or scratch his head or maybe pull his shirt a bit or just, and it was like the show looks so much better, but it was giving them that freedom. And suddenly the animators were, were more happy with their jobs because they could, you know, stretch themselves creatively, creatively a little bit, you know, try some new things. And, I'm finding that more and more in with, especially with, with, you know, fresh animators, like, like absolute beginners, the character hits a pose and dies and they stop moving. And you're like, Oh God, please don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I read this thing about the, the, this guy talked about animating on the Lion King and they were just like, I was like that I, phew, I would probably buy a. I mean, you'd be in the U.S. I could buy a gun and blow your brains out because it's most so. I would rather do data entry. Well, or, essentially, that's what you're doing. Yeah, or, in a or weird kind of or way. work in a gas station or shovel shit out of a out of the gutters or pick up trash in a park because it'd be far more rewarding than just rehashing someone else's work. No, if there's any animators listening to this that worked on The Little Mermaid and really enjoyed it, or Lion King, or any of these other movies, no, hey, no hate. I no understand. Hate, it's a day job. It's Yeah, it's a job. It, it pays the bills. Make sure you have a roof over your head and food in your belly and clothes on your back and kids are happy. But yeah, I, I am not a fan of when these sort of production ideas come through and 
creative people have to suffer. You know, let animators and creative people suffering. Yeah, that really grinds my soul. It does. Um, so from there, um, I guess we should do top 10. Oh, wait, two of our co hosts are gone, but I have other stuff to talk about. Oh, okay. Coming up just around the corner, uh, Star uh, Disney Plus is going to be releasing the Star Wars series Andor. This is all talking about the uh, character of, of uh, Cassian Andor. Um, the premise is about five years before the beginning of the events of Rogue One. We're going to follow Cassian as during the formation of the Rebel Alliance against the Galactic Empire. So he's a thief who becomes a revolutionary and eventually becomes a captain. And that's what we're going to be following is, is his character. What's your vibe on this? I'm pretty tapped out on a lot of Star Wars stuff at this point. What do you think from what you've seen? I haven't seen anything. I, I've seen a couple of things. Now, the first, they've already talked about it. It's got, going to be in two seasons. First season is 12 episodes. Second season is 12 episodes. Um, they've committed that much already. They've already committed to a second 12-episode season, which is already in development. Um, and will conclude as the series leads directly into the events of Rogue One. So they're saying after 24 episodes, you watch Rogue One, and then you know he dies. The problem is, we know he dies in Rogue One. We know that through these 24 episodes, this character is never in any peril, ever. He, You know he's going to get through. And we've talked about this before in other podcasts, but I'll reiterate. If you're going to do a story like that, you know one character has plot armor. Like, say, an Indiana Jones. Yeah. You're pretty sure he's going to make it through the movie. Like, so no matter how perilous the situation is, pretty good chance he's going to make it. Yeah. So you can give a character plot armor, but you better have a damn good story. A really like you good have story. to be on the edge of the seat the whole I, time. The thing is, I would rather follow another character that Andor interacts with. Yeah. And so that maybe this character dies at the end of the first season. So now there's someone else Andor has to interact with in the second season. So that make someone else the main character. When you have the main character that has this kind of plot armor, it really cheapens the experience. Now I know they have Force Whitaker's coming back as Saw Gerrera. There's no been no official thing of how um uh what you would call it, um how he gets his 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 droid partner there. Uh, that we see in Rogue One. Uh, what's his name again? Queso. K- K2SO is done by Alan Tudyuk. We don't know how he gets them. Hopefully in this series it'll explain how they interact and how he reprograms them and blah, blah, blah. But we don't know yet. And hopefully it doesn't happen in the first episode because that'd be fucking horrible. Um, I hope they don't have a shower together. That would suck. Yeah. Uh, long, hot showers together. Um, but it's just... I'm probably going to watch at least a couple of episodes of it. If it's shot well and the story is at least entertaining enough, I will continue with it. But if it is just him running from situation to situation, we know he's going to survive. I'm probably going to tap out pretty quick. Um, I just think there's more interesting characters they could have followed than Cassie and Andor. Um, The Mandalorian. The fact that Obi-Wan and Boba Fett, I stopped caring about. Two of my favorite characters in the Star Wars franchise. I stopped caring about them. The fact Dollar Store Boba Fett has the best series. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's Andor. Um, and now that comes out in like two weeks, one week, September. 
September, hold on, September 21st is the first episode. I think actually they're releasing three episodes on September 21st. So you can watch episodes one, two, and three. So that might be enough to, you know, get the fish hook in and, and pull me into episode four. We'll see. Um, but I think bigger news than that was Disney has officially removed Rogue Squadron from their lineup of films. Um, this was the one that was supposed to be directed by Patty Jenkins. It was supposed to come out a year this coming December, December, mid-December of 2023. Um, it has been pulled off the calendar officially by Disney. Part of it, I think, is because of how underwhelming Wonder Woman 1984 was. But I think Patty Jenkins would have done this movie justice. Her dad was a fighter pilot. She grew up, you know, military brat with, you know, with a, a dad who was a fighter pilot. She would understand the the mentality of fighter pilots. Um, instead, we get, you know it being canceled and it's just like i was actually as that i was this was like top gun star wars top gun you know we could have seen you know wedge antilles i mean i still say a, a series of from wedge antilles talking about old battles uh, or like, yeah as top gun like yeah like that I vibe would, that could I would, work i would love to have seen you know I just can't remember who who played with Gentile. I just forgot his name. Um, I know it's a dress and the guy with the bad memory for names. I know, I know, I know. Keep talking, uh, I'll find out. Dennis Lawson. You know, he's yeah, that's a, who I was going to say. Related to uh, Ewan McGregor. Anyway, yep. if he narrated, you know, started off each episode with him talking about oh, the battle of such and such, and then we, you know, do like a a, a cross wipe or whatever kind of or circle wipe, whatever, you know, whatever Lucasfilm wipes we like. And we actually get to see the battle. And we see a young Wedge flying those battles. And, you know, interacting with his, with the other members of Red Squadron, because they weren't Rogue Squadron at that point. You know, interacting with Gold Squadron and all the other. I would watch the shit out of a, out of a series like that. Do 10 episodes as he marches, you know, talks about the various battles. You could even have like episode five, he talks about the, the, the death, first Death Star battle. And episode 10, he talks about the second Death Star battle because he's the only pilot who wasn't a Jedi or on the Millennium Falcon that survived both. So that would be a great series. I would watch the hell of that. Or people have talked about doing a, a Lando Carissian series with Daniel, you know, uh, Donald Glover, you know, reprising his role. And you have the original <laughs> Lando doing the voiceover narration and then we yeah. cut to or heck even put yeah billy d williams like right in it yeah but just have billy d williams talking and then you know at the start he's he playing sabak and he starts talking about an adventure and you cut back to the past and it's, it's donald glover in that role you know maybe starts saying off a couple of billy d's lines and cuts to his own voice and you know we, and then we i why can't they do epi like series like that on disney and that's the kind of thing that would be a terrible movie but it would be a great episodic television series. Exactly. The Tales of Lando Carissian, Tales of Wedge Antilles. You know, this is the sort of stuff Disney Plus should be putting on, not Andor, not the travesty that was Obi-Wan. Um, Heck, the Tales of Han Solo. Yeah, but I mean, they've already... I know they ruined that whole 
idea with the movie so you yeah. can get well, Harrison I mean, Ford back but yeah imagine a Han Solo story with Han and Chewie talking about their old adventure uh, you know what work that into the Lando story yeah you could even ha- have like if you're doing the tales of Lando at some point he talks about interact interacting with Han like maybe at one point he won the Millennium Falcon back and for that episode he had the Millennium Falcon and then Han wins it back from him and he's like son of a you cheated did not cheat and that sort of stuff. So he keeps winning and losing the Millennium Falcon. And he wins the Millennium Falcon, updates it, improves it, and then hand wins it back. And he's like, oh, I want to spend all that, all those credits fixing it up. You know, that could be a running gag through that whole series. This is the sort of stuff. So I, when I saw the cancellation of Rogue Squadron, I was like, I mean, Rogue Squadron would, would work well as a series, but would work better as the, the tales of Wood Gentiles. But yeah, I thought Jenkins would have then I was actually looking forward to Rogue Squadron because, I mean, a lot of the fan films these days, there's a couple out there that are really, really well done dogfights of like X-Wings and Ties. And it's just like, you know, and they're doing it on the cheap with like Blender and a couple other software. I mean, it's 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 feasible. They wouldn't have to blow the bank to do it. But oh, well, thanks, Disney. Thanks. Yeah, I don't think Disney knows what to do with Star Wars. Or Marvel. Well, part of it is Kathleen Kennedy's on her way out. Um, if the rumors are to be believed, when, when Indiana Jones is finally finished, that's her swan song. She's done. And Favreau's supposed to take over. But who knows at this point? So, yeah, we'll see. But I was I was a little peeved when that, that announcement came out. And that was like two, Thursday. That came out. They announced on Thursday that it was it was dead. And it was just like, fuck. You haven't dropped enough F-bombs this episode. Gavin, you're sorely missed. I mean, I can only say that word so many times that it just eventually just loses all meaning. So. Frigid fracker. Yeah. F-bomb. Pop sock and mother forker. That's about as good as I can get. I'll turn this into the good place. Yeah. Just enough is enough. I've had it with these monkey fighting monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. There's <laughs> <laughs> you no know, monkey fighting snakes. They're, they're the best. So yeah, um, that pretty much rounds out all I had to talk about this week. So if you've really been irritated by the sound of my voice, I can shut up now. Hey, I stayed awake for it. He did. He did. I have proof that, or he's really good at drawing eyeballs on like like on his eyelids and he has his I've actually hired someone to rotoscope me this whole <laughs> second half of the podcast. It, it's a deep fake. It's just a mannequin. They just your just kids some are, keep alive. Yeah, your your kids are just w- wiggling the the mannequin back and forth every once in a while. It's deep faking. Yeah. Like at some point it'll happen. Um yeah, so that's this has been episode 53. You got anything to add, Mike? Yeah, Troy, we missed you. Gavin, we missed you. Maybe we'll get the quartet back together again. Yes, I'd love I'd love to finish off this top 10. Really would. Um, it'd be so nice because there's other lists that we have that are in preparation that we haven't. I don't feel we should launch those until we finish this one first. Yeah, there's a lot of things that need to be held off until we finish other things. Yeah, I'd like to get some stuff wrapped up first. Yeah. So other than that, I think this is the end of episode 53 for those who are listening. Yeah, he's the DJ. I'm the rapper. I have some presents you can wrap, you know, some nice 
wrapping paper, it's a nice ribbon. It'd be great. That's every time someone says the wrapper, I'm like, so what brand of tape do you use? Do you like the French corners or do you prefer the how do you rate how do you wrap an irregular sized object? With a lot of talent, man. I gift bags. Throw that shit in gift bags because I can't wrap that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, collective goodbye. <laughs> sure. One, two, three. Collective, collective goodbye. goodbye. We did better without you, Troy Kevin. Yeah. All right. Good night, folks. Good night. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. This has been Geeking Off the Page, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, Planet Geek Pod. Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next bad time, same spider channel, may the force be with you, and thanks for tuning in.